Good morning and welcome to the house of the Lord. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Please stand for the call to worship. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. They do no wrong, but follow his ways. Oh, that our ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. We will praise you with upright hearts as we learn your righteous ways. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, we come to you this morning with grateful hearts. Please help our minds and our hearts to be open to what you have um, for them to hear this morning and help us to be malleable with what those words um, might mean in our lives. In the Lord's name we pray. Amen.
It's great to see you as we gather for worship today. Take a moment, share a word of peace, a word of greeting with others who are here in worship this morning. Morning. Cold hands. (laughs) Good to see you. Third time. Nice to see you back in the choir. Hey, Debbie, how are you? Yes, I'm. There are uh, a number of things in the bulletin uh, related to uh, events today, this week, next weekend, and uh, we want to encourage you to take a look at that. There are a couple of inserts in your bulletin as well. One of them is about a Valentine's banquet that uh, the College Ministries Committee is uh, sponsoring. You see information about that. You can uh, fill out that form, drop in the offering plate uh, later, and uh, have a few weeks to uh, make a decision about that. But We hope you'll be a part of that uh, gathering. This uh, green insert is about our missions convention uh, two weeks from today. Uh, we have some events planned for uh, that Saturday particularly as well as what we do on Sunday. And we'd love to have you be a part of these events. So take a look at those. There are some of them do have a place for you to respond. And we would encourage you to be a part of that. Also, there next Sunday morning, uh, 1040 to 11. Um, you can stay after that if you happen to have been to church earlier. But uh, we are... Uh, hosting a meet-and-greet time with college students and people who are interested in connecting with them. Uh, it's an opportunity to meet some students that you might not have met or don't know or maybe to reconnect with some that you have known. And you see the information in there about that. There's also a blue card in your bulletin about Faith Promise. And it's the time of the year when we are collecting those and asking God to uh, help us give us uh, faith, to believe for what He wants us to give above and beyond what we would normally give to the church and the kingdom. Um, this, so we want you to be praying about this. We've, our plan is to collect these on the Sunday of our missions convention in two weeks. Sometimes it's helpful to just hear what God has done in other people's lives. Pastor Kevin is going to share a, a story that uh, how God worked in their lives to supply for them as they stepped out in faith. Back in uh, 1981 through 87, my wife and I were a part of an athletic ministry called Sports Life. It was specifically a soccer ministry. And many of you are probably aware of that and remember a little bit of that. Some of you were supporting us. This church did as well at times through those uh, six years of ministry. And the unique thing about some of this uh, process is we literally, in those months and those years, lived month to month to month on faith support. And there wasn't a lot of people out there aware of the, the beauty of the ministry through athletics at that time, and we were kind of on the, in the beginning cutting edge of that process, and uh, raising support was complicated at times. The ministry was based in Tacoma, Washington. Our support base was in here in the, in the East Coast, and so every summer we would come home to visit the supporters and spend a little time with family, and we would travel on speaking at churches and going to homes and, and just sharing what God had been doing in our lives, through our lives. And around 1984, we had come back, and we were going to different churches and homes. And on a particular weekend, we were scheduled on a Saturday to share at the Chambers Campground, where Cindy basically grew up uh, in the central New York district. And it was just a home away from home for her. 
And so we always tried to get involved in the Chambers Camp Ministries there when they would have a share periodically with different groups and Sunday school classes. And that was a Saturday. On Sunday morning, we were to turn around and go back up to Belleville, Wesleyan, which is right up here, a small church that while we were college students here, uh, we were involved in Sunday school classes and helping there. So we had this neat little schedule. The only problem was we were driving a 1958 Chevy that was basically close to empty. We knew, I knew, we had enough money or enough gas and money to get us down to Chambers, and probably back up to Belleville, probably. And, um, and we just knew that God would have to provide. And we knew he would. We just didn't know how. And so we got in a car that Friday evening and headed on down to Chambers Camp, all excited about seeing people and visiting the people, reunions and stuff like that that Cindy would be looking forward to. And on Saturday morning, her cousin, uh, Danny Wilson, who would be, uh, boy, a nephew to Dick Alderman. And he was about a 10-year-old. And... Um, Danny came up to us, and he had a check for $250. Now, those children grew up on a a dairy farm, and Phil gave each of those children of theirs uh, a cow to raise and take care of, and then they sold that cattle, or that cow, they could then take those monies and use them as they want. And Danny was impressed and felt that he wanted to give us 10% of that sale. And so here we are, a 10-year-old boy who sells his cow, providing for our needs, and Cindy and I were just overjoyed, amazed, and astounded at how God would provide for our needs through this this scenario, this situation. And uh, Saturday evening, we went into the evening service, and Keith Drury is sharing. And Keith, uh, a great communicator, but God, through him, spoke to Cindy and me. As we were listening to God speak, we were both convicted. The subject was sacrificial giving. And it really, it just... Spoke to our hearts. And without any question, no doubt in our minds, we both looked at each other and we said, yep. And we signed that check over in its entirety and put it in that offering, knowing God wanted us to trust him in this and just give it back to him. And that was kind of tough to do, but we knew God was providing. If you provided once, we'll do it again for sure. And so we hopped in the car Sunday morning and buzzed over to Belleville and basically running close to on fumes uh, in that old 58 Chevy. And we pulled in, and the first person to meet us and greet us that morning was Dorothy Osgood. And some of you might even know who she is. And she stood right there with a great big grin on, grin on her face. And that alone is just such a heartwarming reception. But she handed a $10 bill. She had it in her hand, and she shook my hand and said to Cindy and me at the same time, she said, God told me you needed this. And it was a $10 bill. And tears were just welling up in our eyes. And we just knew what an amazing God we serve and, and how he orchestrated all this to evolve. And after church that morning, we shared in the service and whatever. And we went to have lunch with one of the families in the church, the Donners. And Mrs. Donner was in charge of the Sunday school program. She goes, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, uh, the children have been collecting monies to give to you. And we didn't know how to get it to you over there. So here's the money. It was $51 and some change in cash. And so we left that church with cash so we could buy gas to get home with about $61. And it just just shows me and Cindy, has, God has always provided, but... I guess I would just challenge you to consider, as you consider faith promise giving, that don't, don't try to figure out how much based on what you have. Just whatever God impresses on your heart, trust him. You'll never know. Maybe there's a cow out there to be sold, and someone's going to provide through that means. Who knows how? But God will provide, and it's just a blast to be in the, that kind of scene and scenario where God blesses in those scenarios.
The Old Testament scripture reading this morning is found um, in Exodus 19, verses 1 through 6. Hear the word of the Lord. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possessions. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. This is the word of the Lord. As the ushers come forward, please stand to sing the doxology. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, you've blessed us in more ways than we can even count. We come now with grateful hearts to celebrate those blessings you've given us so graciously. Thank you for opportunities like this to be grateful, to give from our hearts. Let the giving of our tithes and offering be a a symbol of just this, our thanksgiving and our gratitude. Amen.
It is amazing that our Heavenly Father calls us to come to Him in prayer and pour out our hearts to Him. As we share together in the prayer of confession and the time of of corporate prayer, if you would like to offer your prayers at the altar rail, please come and join me. Let's pray together the prayer of confession. We confess to you, Lord, what we are. We are not the people we like others to think we are. We are afraid to admit, even to ourselves, what lies in the depths of our souls. We do not, however, want to hide our true selves from you. We believe that you know us as we are, and yet you still love us. Help us not to shrink from self-knowledge. Teach us to love ourselves for your sake. Give us the courage to put our trust in your guiding power. Raise us out of the paralysis of guilt and fear and take us into the freedom and energy of forgiven people. And for those who through long habit find forgiveness hard to accept, we ask that you would break our bondage And set us free. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. (laughs) Heavenly Father, as your children, called by your name, drawn into your presence, loved with an everlasting love, we thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you that we can come to you in honesty and openness, in vulnerability, acknowledging our sin and our brokenness and our struggles, and we find grace and love and compassion. Thank you. Father, as we come to prayer, we pray not only for ourselves, but for all who are in need. We pray your healing upon those who are struggling with illness, pain. We pray your comfort upon those who are grieving. We pray that you will restore what we have broken. That you, will, that you will turn our fears and anxiety about the future into hope and joy and confidence because we know that you are with us. We pray for this world. We think of our brothers and sisters who are persecuted for their faith, who live in fear of the next knock at the door, being interrupted in worship, 
things that we know nothing about. We pray that you will protect them, that you will comfort them, help them to know of our prayers and our love and our support. And at the same time, let their courage be an inspiration to us as we live our lives of faith for you. Father, we pray for others in this world, particularly those who are most vulnerable, most susceptible. We pray for your protection as many of them, many of them live in places of war and violence, greed. We ask that you would watch over them and protect them. And we pray that through your grace and through your people, through the work of your spirit, that their suffering and their fears would be relieved. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. We thank you that we are your children coming to our Father and finding love and compassion, mercy and grace. We offer this prayer and all of our prayers to the strong and powerful name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. The New Testament scripture reading this morning can be found in Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 30. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside, knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you came from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. This is the word of the Lord.
Are there some people or some groups of people that you, you have serious questions about whether they are going to be welcomed in God's kingdom? Are there, are there people, groups of people that you say, okay, they've made some choices. I don't think they get in. Or they believe these things. I don't think they get in. They, they practice this way of life. I don't think they get in. I have a feeling as we think about that, there are people or there are groups of people that are coming to every one of our minds. And when we read the scriptures, we find that, there, that, that that's not an illegitimate question to ask. We read the scriptures and we find that Jesus comes and says, there are people in and people out. And people have been asking those questions through the centuries. God, who gets in and who's left out? And sometimes our answers are based on biblical ideas and quite frankly, sometimes it's just what we want. Knowing all of that's in the back of our minds, knowing that we all make those kinds of judgments, ask those questions. It's intriguing to me that Jesus is out teaching one day and in the middle of this teaching, someone pipes up and says, Lord, are only a few people going to get into the kingdom? Now, I don't know what that person is implying by the question. It might be a completely legitimate, Lord, I'm curious. Is it going to be a lot of people or a few people? But it's one of those questions that sort of has behind it, you can feel an agenda. It might be, Lord, I was just out listening to some of the, some of, some of the teachers of the law, and I got the impression that there's not going to be very many people in the kingdom. Is that right? It might come from, Lord, there are some people that I have really difficult issues with. They're not getting in the kingdom, are they? It doesn't tell us. He just says, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Are only a few people going to, to inherit the kingdom? What's fascinating to me is that Jesus, as he does so often, he doesn't answer the question. Have you noticed that when you read the Gospels? People ask Jesus questions, and more often than not, he doesn't answer their question. He doesn't say, yes, only a few people are going to get in, or no, a whole bunch of people are going to get in, or let me, let me explain that to you. No, he does not answer the question at all. Instead, he looks at this person and in essence says, it's not about who gets in and who doesn't. The issue is, are you going to get in? The issue is, are you in the kingdom? 
Jesus is the master at turning these general questions that we have into specifics. See, we love to debate the theological issues of things like who's getting into the kingdom, who's not. We love theological debates, and, and they're fine. They're good. They can help us. What we, but sometimes those debates are, are simply a means of deflecting the word of God coming right at us. Let's talk about these theological issues, and then I don't have to think about my own relationship with Christ. Jesus continually moves away all of the stuff that we don't know clearly and says, what about you? His exact answer here in verse 24 is, make every effort to enter by the narrow door. Make every effort to enter by the narrow door. Now that implies that there are other doors that are not narrow, and we'll get to that in a moment. What intrigues me about his answer is that he he doesn't say what we might expect him to say. He doesn't say, well, that's all about the grace of God. Just believe, just trust. He says, make every effort to enter by the door. Now, right away, if you've been raised in the church, that raises red flags for us because we have been taught in our Protestant evangelical uh, perspective that we have to be so careful not to give the impression that we can earn our salvation. That we get into the kingdom by doing good things. And we're right. I mean, we're just saying, you alone can rescue You alone can save. We're saying about grace all morning. It is all founded on the grace of God. It is all about the grace of God. It is the grace of God that opens the door and makes the door available. But Jesus says to go through the door, that's our role, that's our effort. And what we are to do is to make every effort to go through the door. That word, make every effort, is used in, uh, in talking about athletic competitions in the ancient world. It means to compete. And you think about, we're getting ready to have the, you know, the Winter Olympic, Olympics are coming up in a couple of weeks. And you'll see athletes there at the Olympics competing. You will find very few athletes at that Olympics who are doing that half-heartedly. They don't go to the Olympics. Somebody didn't just think two weeks ago, you know what? Going to the Olympics would be a good idea. I think I'll get off the couch and I'll go compete in the Olympics. I'm going to go do figure skating. I've never done it before, but, you know, it might be fun. I'm going to do ski jumping. Now, that looks cool. I have never done ski jumping before, But how hard can it be, right? Nobody does that. Those people who compete in the Olympics, they've been training virtually all of their lives. They have spent the whole last, at least the last year, getting their bodies into shape, practicing, 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 whatever sports they are competing in. They are making every effort, not just to compete, but to win. 
It's a word that means to fight, to engage in battle. And it has that sense of exerting energy to win the battle. And so Paul writes to Timothy and says, I have fought the good fight. He uses the word twice in that sentence. It is about fighting with all of our strength and might. What it really boils down to, it's a word that describes passion. We could paraphrase what Jesus says this way. Be passionate about going through the narrow door. Don't just saunter through the door. You don't back through the door. You are passionate about walking through that door. And when we're passionate about something, it engages us. It envelops us. It engulfs us. It becomes super important to us. Think about things that you want to accomplish in life. If you want to be a great athlete, you train, you work, you practice, you compete. That's how you get to be that. If you want to be a great artist or musician, you study and you practice and you do it over and over and over again and you have a coach that helps you and you expend a lot of money often doing that. If you want to be a great writer, You study, you learn, and you write, and you write, and you write. And you don't write write one draft and say that's enough. You don't just write two drafts or three drafts. Most people write dozens of drafts to get it where it should be. And then you let somebody else read it and critique it and tell you how it's not what it should be. Because you want it to be the best it can be. If you want to be a doctor, you study You spend a whole lot of money and you practice on anyone who will let you practice on them. So you can learn. Probably the most dangerous thing to do is to be a medical student and practicing on each other. But you keep doing it and you keep working through it and you spend all these years of training and learning because you have a passion about being a physician. And Jesus is saying to us, that's my kingdom. You want to walk through the door? Have that kind of passion in your life. And when we have that kind of passion, it takes over everything about us. It takes over how we think. People who are passionate about Christ, people who are passionate about the kingdom, are interested, are thinking about what goes into our minds. We're paying attention to what occupies our thoughts It makes a difference. We're concerned about what we do with the gifts that God has given us. How we spend our time. What we do with with the gifts that we have, the talents that we have. What we do with our money, however much or little of it we may have. All of these things that we have, what we do with them speaks to passion. Passion. And I think a lot of times we have this mindset that we can just sort of skate by the kingdom. We can come to Christ half-heartedly, and that's good enough. It's never good enough. Jesus, over and over and over again, encountering people, he's looking for people who, who are interested enough in him to have passion about him. He never condemns people who have in this mindset, I could do more for Christ. 
It's the religious people who are thinking, how little can I do for God and still skate by that gets Jesus' ire up. It's about passion. That's what it means to be a part of the kingdom, having a passion for Christ. Now, there is a point where Jesus says this narrow door becomes a locked door. There is a point where the door is shut. And he says, there are people who are knocking on the door saying, let me in, let me in. And it surprises me. It's kind of odd that Jesus then says, the master says to them, "Hmm, I don't think so. No. We think that doesn't really sound like God. It doesn't sound like God's grace. I mean, if people are knocking and they want to get in, I mean, you'd think God would let them in. I think Jesus is simply giving us another metaphor about people who say they want to get in, but really aren't interested in getting in. They're interested in getting away from where they are, but they really aren't interested in coming to Jesus. There's a big difference. It's It's like the difference, it's like, Someone being in a theater, crowded theater, somebody yells fire and, and everyone rushes to the exits. No one really cares where you go outside. They're just, oops, there we go again. We had that trouble first service too. When we, no one cares where you go when you walk outside. You're just trying to get out. And for a lot of people, it's just getting out. Not really interested in being with Jesus. It's like people who are invited into the king's mansion. And they walk into the mansion. It's an awesome place, great place to live. This is going to be terrific. But it isn't very long before they realize they don't really like the way the king operates. They don't really like what the king is doing and how the king treats people. And and what's important to the king. Because it's not important to them. And so they start telling the king of different ways to do things. And they don't like this and they don't like that. And they really are becoming unsettled. And they really don't want to be there. They just wanted to come in somewhere. It's really what Lewis talks about in The Great Divorce. You have these people who are in hell and they load them on a bus and take them to heaven. And they walk around heaven for a while and see what heaven is like and they have at the end of that journey, they are all given the option, do you want to stay in heaven or do you want to get back on the bus and go back to hell? And every single one of them gets back on the bus and goes back to hell. You say, whoa. It's because what they see in heaven, what heaven is about, the priorities of heaven, the love And forgiveness and grace and goodness of heaven makes them sick. Heaven's all about selflessness. And they are about self-centeredness. They really don't want to be there. And the people knocking on the door, they say to the master, let us in, let us in. He says, I don't know you. He said, well... You, you ate, we ate with you and drank with you and you taught in our streets. And he said, that may be true, but I don't know you. 
And the word to know has that sense of intimacy to it. That sense of of relationship that is, is close and tight. And the master is saying to them, well, we may have done these things. You may know about me, but you really don't know me. And you don't really want to know me. You just want me to come and to rescue you from where you are. But it's it's really not about knowing me. There's not a passion for me. There's just a fear about getting away. And the kingdom is about people who have a passion for Christ. However much or little we know about Christ, something in our hearts has this passion, this desire for Christ. Someone said to me recently, this this door is, in many ways you could say this door is God-shaped. The narrow door. It's God-shaped. And as we were talking about that, you know, we were thinking about those cartoons where the cartoon character is racing along and, and in fear runs through a wall. And you see their outline in the wall, you know, as they run through it. You see the little outline of it. And that's sort of the way this is. And we're trying to walk through a door that's often that's our shape. And we're trying to make God fit to us. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. The kingdom is about me shaping you to God. And your willingness to do that, the surrender of your life, the surrender of your passions to me. Maybe think of it this way. We, we come to God with all of our stuff. We got all of our, our things that we love, the things that are important to us. We got all of our passions and all the, the things that we want to hang on to. And we, are, we say to God, I, I want to go through the door. I just don't want to let go of my stuff. And we keep banging on the door. And we're, we'll try a whole lot of ways to get through it. You can't. It's not going to happen. We want, sometimes we'll even say, Lord, can you make that door a little bit wider for me? He's saying, if you want my kingdom, if you want everything that I have for you, you got to surrender the stuff. And your one passion, one desire is Christ. Sometimes it feels as though this narrow door is so exclusive. And we lament. This comes back to the discussions about who gets in and who doesn't. And we lament some of God's decisions about, wait a second. You mean to tell me there are people that aren't going to get in? There are people who who aren't going to be a, a part of the kingdom? And we have all these discussions about who that might be or might not be. And for some people, they... They look at folks who they don't think deserve to be in the kingdom and they celebrate that. And they, they, we see it. We see people who carry picket signs and we hear people who preach these sermons about these people are going to hell and that's awesome. They're going to get God's judgment. What fascinates me about this passage in the verses after the ones we read, Jesus says to the people, 
Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How I have yearned for you. I I desire relationship with you. I desire to gather you to myself like a hen gathers chicks under her wing. And you keep rejecting me. And the response of Jesus to the people who don't want to walk through the door, the people who don't want to give up their stuff, the people who don't want to surrender is not delight because they're going to get what they deserve. It is lament and grief because they're going to get what they want. And his heart is broken. And I'm convinced that one of the, one of the challenges, one of the tests for our passion about Christ is how do we respond to people who reject Christ? How do we respond to people who reject us as representatives of Christ? With delight at what they're going to get? Or grief and lament and sorrow and tears because of the choices they are making? It ought to break our hearts. Because our passion for Christ is going to shape us into the image of Christ. I think in a sense it boils down to this. If you want to be in the kingdom... You will be. And it seems too simple. And we can explain it and we can talk about it. But if the passion of our hearts, for whatever little or much we know, if the passion of our hearts is Christ, then we experience all that Christ has for us. Because the door isn't narrow to confine us and to to make life miserable. The door is narrow because it is the only way to life. So what's our passion? What's driving us? What deep inside, what do we want out of life? What do we think about Jesus? For many of us, we've been following Christ for a long time and it is simply stepping back and taking an honest look at our hearts to say what in me might have created less passion for Christ than it should. And for some of you, it Maybe no passion for Christ. But maybe today you sense a little spark. In this next moment of silent meditation, let's examine our hearts and say to God whatever we need to say.
Father, thank you for your gifts. We pray that you will forgive us if we have allowed your gifts to become more of a passion for us than you. Help us to see your great love for us. And give us grace and a desire to want you, your kingdom, all that you are. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. We don't always do this, but this morning I just want to just say to you, as you contemplate what God may be speaking to you about, if, as we sing this closing hymn, if you feel like it might help you to solidify whatever things have happened with you and, and God this morning, if you, would, if you think it would help you to come and to kneel at the altar rail and to pray, let me invite you to do so. It's always open. But let me just make that statement this morning. And I want to invite you to stand as we sing together this prayer. Oh, for a heart to praise my God.
the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.